Hey, Colleen. Good morning. How's it going? Great. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, so, so last week was kind of a busy week, and I, I was in the U.S. for two conferences, one of which you were at. And so I had some interesting conversations with people. I mean, first of all, I just like, I just love the like, I can see people in person again, you know? Yeah. I just, I just like, I'm, I'm going to sidetrack for a second. But like, I was thinking about that between, I mean, just thinking of the conferences I've been able to go to this year. Like, I have made so many friends this year and it's awesome. That's amazing. I love that. I feel like it kind of makes up for how, uh, I don't know. Well, terrible for many reasons 2020 and 2021 were, but like it's also so fun to finally meet people that you, you know, talk to online, you know, on Twitter and everything else regularly. And then you actually meet them in person, right? Like, have you experienced this? Oh, for sure. 100%. Yes. So at one of the conferences last week, there was someone who um, I talked to online all the time. And I was like a thousand percent sure that I had already met them. And they come <laughs> up to me and they're like, oh, like, hey, Michelle. And I'm like, oh, hey. And they're like, it's nice to finally meet you. And I'm like, no, we've met before. And they're like, no, no, we haven't. And I was like, no, I've, wait, wait, what? <laughs> I've definitely met you before. And no. And so, yeah, that just, that really just, you know, filled up my cup, you know, to like yes. meet so many people and feel so energized. Finally got to see the uh, Geocodio lanyards in person at Longhorn PHP, which was pretty exciting. That is awesome. Um, yeah. Do you have so, a picture? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I actually, I should put them on Twitter or Mastodon since, since that's, we're also doing that now. And yeah, that was pretty fun because we sponsored last year too. Well, it was actually 2020 and then it was canceled. So it was last year. Yeah. So that was really fun to get to see them in person. There's, there, it is kind of surreal to like look out uh, at a conference ballroom and seeing like hundreds of people wearing our logo. Like, yeah, I was I'm like, sure. kind, I was like starstruck. I don't know if that's like the right way to put it. Right. Like, but it was like, whoa, it was really cool. Needless to say, we will be sponsoring again next year because um, <laughs> that was totally worth it. Um, yeah. Okay. So anyway, so I had t- so many good conversations with people. But one thing I realized is I don't think I have a- done a good enough job talking about the role of quantitative data. Okay. With Let's customer talk about research. It. Like, I think yeah. I have actually kind of like... I, th- I think I have, I don't want to say I've messed up, but like, I need to do more in that. So I was talking to someone who, you know, they have their own um, indie software biz. And we were talking about how they could figure out what to build next, which features to build next. And they mentioned, you know, they recently add one of those like feature upvoting tools, right? Where like users can um, submit features and they're, you know, they're trying to figure out which ones they should build next because they want to, you know, figure out how to grow their business right of course and um yeah and and you know I started started asking some questions and I'm like okay like do you have any sort of you know like do you have a sense for which users who are you know either they're paying you the most or they have um you know renewed their subscription like they're retaining like which features they're voting for and like and then we started talking about conversion I'm like so people who actually you know create an account like do you have a sense for like 
how many of them actually end up paying you and then like any sort of behaviors that correlate with that like are there any features that correlate with that and kind of diving into the data a little bit and so I was saying that then you use that to kind of figure out okay these features that people are telling you that you need then you can kind of get a sense for which ones are the most important if you know there's a feature that people who have been renewing their subscriptions for even if it's just once, right? If it hasn't been around for a long time, that's valuable to know versus if there's a feature that people are asking for that they've never paid you, right? Right. So, like, because sure. you can see at least who is this already a good fit for. And, you know, right. chances are you're closer to being an even better fit for someone than you are from going from not a fit to a fit, if that makes sense. Like, that's a bigger jump. Yeah. Right. And I was like, oh man, I would love to just, like, you know, kind of like play around with your data for a day and, like, there's probably a lot of really interesting stuff we could find and then you could use that and, you know, figure out which segments you should talk to and then, you know, kind of feed all of this together. And I realized through the course of the conversation, um, both through what they said and as I was talking that, like, I have not explained that very well, like how you use both qualitative and quantitative data together and like feeding into each other and using one to inform the other and you kind of like ping pong them off of each other and as I was talking to this person and a couple of other people I I so I later on I, I asked them I was like so you know I've said like use qualitative and quantitative data together like I'm curious what did that mean to you when I said that because um, these are people who read my book and they're like oh I thought it meant you know you should look at analytics and then you talk to people but I didn't really know how you connect them to each other. And so this was really interesting. And it was also kind of interesting seeing how I guess, surprised people were by seeing how excited I get about playing around in spreadsheets, <laughs> which I think for good reason, people don't see me as a numbers data person, which is fair because I don't really talk about it. But the reason why I don't talk about it is because a billion other people talk about it and there's tons of books on data analysis. So I didn't feel like I needed to, you know, I didn't feel like there was a hole there. Right. But I think the problem is, is when if people are just coming across my book and they're using that as their primary piece, like I actually like I need to do I need to do more, I think, to really like give like concrete examples of the interplay of quantitative data Um with qualitative data does that make sense like I this is the thing is like I don't even know if I'm I'm explaining this in a way that makes sense because I actually I really haven't tried to articulate it before because I just thought it was so well covered elsewhere that I didn't even like need to bother you know I have one chapter in my book that says use both um yeah. but that was basically it yeah that makes sense I'm curious like for you as you are <laughs> now I mean you you are like pedal to the metal right now mm -hmm. i mean of course you i mean you guys have a feature list a mile long mm -hmm. and i think to to a certain extent this has almost been your problem that you have been waiting to sort of like build all of the things and then launch i'm curious that as i say this like what does that mean to you like how like how do you look at your list of stuff to build next and try to figure out what is impactful for the business well, I feel like we're so early. So compared to where you are, or it sounds like this person you were analyzing data with is, we're still, we don't really have any quantitative data. 
That's true. We I have, mean, yeah, you've got like it's five. It's too early. Yeah, yeah we've you've got, got 10, the five 15, rails. How many, five, how many yeah. do you have on rails right now? Five on rails, 10 on Laravel. Okay. Ish. Somewhere yeah. between 15 and 20. So I don't think that we have any quantitative data. I think when we look at features and think of like how to prioritize that, we're still just kind of going off gut feelings. But, and I, I this is not what you're talking about, but I like this approach to high touch funnels because I'm trying to learn more about like high touch, high value funnels. And one of the things I'm not doing, which I'm going to start doing is literally write down how many calls I have a week. And I, I don't think that's what you mean at all. I think you're talking about analyzing data, but even just like if I have five calls a week, how many of those people go out on a second call? How many people of those people convert? Numbers in any sort will help us right now. I, I think it's also worth keeping track of, you know, to, to the extent that you can dissect things about those calls, right? Like that that are that can be used um, for that interplay of data. So for example, like what industry they're in, like are they, you know, they might be software, but are they serving a specific vertical? How big is the company? Um, how many, you know, how many developers do they have? Who, who is the person you're talking to? Um, because, and you know, here's a really simple example of where that, um, interplay might happen. Like if you, if you actually have all of this, just like keep a spreadsheet of as much sort of little data points you can get on each person you talk to. And then you look back at and you say, okay, so of 10, uh, I don't know, engineering managers that I talked to, or like head of engineering that I talked to only like let's say two of them ended up converting. But okay, but I talked to this other function and actually five of them ended up converting. Okay, that's really interesting. Like, can I go back to like your notes from those calls, for example, and see what are similarities in the use cases or what's going on in the organization? And then dig into that and see if you can use that for your copy. And then those other calls that you do might become more successful or you can start specifically like targeting that kind of a use case or that kind of an organizational problem or whatever it is they might be facing, right? But yeah, I think it's a good idea to start just just kind of just keeping notes in a spreadsheet um, yeah. on on whatever you can pull out. Yeah, totally agree. But what exactly, when you were talking quantitative, I thought you were talking about like analyzing thousands of customers. Something you've only talked about very, very briefly is your biannual customer analysis spreadsheet that you make. Is that what you were referring to? <laughs> Um, so that's just one type of analysis that I do. And I mean, that's when I talk about a little, not really in depth again. I'm kind of kicking myself. I think twice in two years we've talked about it, Michelle. No one really knows what you're you're just just kind of hand wavy, some pivot (laughs) tables. No one really, really uh, knows what you Yeah. I mean, so there's that one where basically, you know, I download all of our revenue data for that year and then I analyze it effectively as if it were a stock portfolio. Does that make sense okay. when I say yeah, that? Yeah, that, yes. Like, right? Yes. So I'm like grouping it. So not only is it, you know, everything is by customer and and by the amount of revenue, but it's also looking at industries, for example. So like a very high level of saying, okay, if we looked at this like a portfolio, right? So I think one example I talk about in the book is when I did this in 2019. And I saw that 20% of our revenue was coming from real estate, for example. And so for me, for just my own risk tolerance, um, I was like, you know what, if this, for, for me, if this was a portfolio of stocks, 20% in one industry, uh, never mind real estate, which, you know, as a child of the financial crisis feels um, a little bit risky for me. And so I was like, we're going to intentionally try to go after other segments 
we still serve real estate. We still have tons of real estate customers and it's still a great industry for it to, for us to serve. But 20% just felt a little bit high. Um, yeah. And so then it was, okay, but what other segments are we in that are pretty low percentage or a new percentage of customers compared to say two years ago or three years ago, but are very sticky, right? They have really low cancel or churn rates. And can I talk to them and figure out what are we doing that makes us such a good fit for them so that I can create marketing that speaks more to those use cases and pull in more of those customers. And so ratio-wise, we end up ratio-wise decreasing the percentage, for example, from real estate. Yeah. I have like a real practical question. Yeah. You said, I download all my data. I assume you meant from Stripe or whatever your payment provider is. Correct. How do you know what industry these people are in? Are you like Googling their companies? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. You are? Like looking at every single website, which... I mean, it's kind of fun sometimes because you're like, it takes like five minutes to be like, what do you, wait, what do you actually do? (laughs) (laughs) Um, A lot of them, it's like pretty clear. It's like, okay, this is finance. You know, this one is like uh, mortgages. This one is, you know, this one is real estate. Like that's like you, like usually it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's some of them, it's a, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge. And it's also like, you know, trying not to classify something as software when they're very clearly serving a specific industry, which is, you know, if you're looking at like a portfolio risk composition perspective, it's not the fact like of what it is, it's who they serve that's important. So not the fact yeah, that that's it is good software, but keep in mind. that they're say, okay, if they're serving one particular industry very strong, then if, for example, the... Uh, logistics industry was impacted, even if they're software, they're going to be impacted by that, right? So I'm trying to think of how I can apply this to my much significantly smaller customer base. And what I'm hearing, and this is something that I haven't done yet, maybe take the 30 people I've had a call with and classify them based on their role at the company, the size of the company. And this, like you said, it's just a spreadsheet, right? So let's take these people, their role at the company, the size of the company, and the industry they are serving to see if I can see any patterns emerging. Yeah. And I mean, maybe if you can put in, like, if you know anything about their revenue or anything that, I mean, to, that that has emerged to you so far as important. Um, so, you know, we had early on talked about it's like talking to the, like, developers, for example, they don't see the value of their own time. So that right. it's really important for you to talk to non-developers or right. leadership level people um so that might be important but also did they end up becoming a customer and how much like even just say like put an estimate of how much time you spend supporting them right even if it's just low medium high yeah um and then i imagine you have notes from all of these calls i do yeah and then so then if you can i mean if you know 30 is a really small sample size and it's, it's not really like it's not really enough, right? But I think there yeah. there will probably some be some things in there that are directionally interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So continue to tell us more about what you do with your quantitative analysis. Yeah, I mean, so the, like the portfolio analysis is just one example of something. So for example, like it's also using, you know, competitor data and like broader market data as well. I think this is something that I maybe have not also not done a good job of communicating is listen to your customers but be selective about what you take action on yeah right like mm-hmm. what like when you're in the act of listening to someone just just listen to them don't start filtering don't start thinking about 
how you could build it or whatever. And I, and I think everybody gets that at this point. But it also doesn't mean that because you have heard these 10 different problems from them, that you are then obligated to build them or that it makes it makes sense for you to build even any of those. So, for example, something that I always do is somebody, you know, suggests a feature to us in addition to getting some information about uh, what their current process is. You know, I mean, if we're speaking numerically, like the amount of time and the amount of money they're currently spending to solve that is a hugely important number to get from that. Um, So they might tell you that they want something specific. And if they're spending, you know, I don't know like hours every week, like I'll have people tell me like, you know, this, this used to take me and a team of five people a week to do. And now it's done in 10 minutes. Like that's really important. Um, And also how frequently they're doing that. Right. Like if this is the first time they've ever run this data um, and they don't really do this, they do this every five years, then that's not very interesting to me. But if they're doing this every day, every week, every month, that's interesting um and also yeah how much they're spending on it and sometimes they'll tell you this directly and sometimes it's more well I I used you guys but then I also have to use this vendor over here and then uh you know it takes tons of back and forth to get it going with them and their software is super janky and I said oh so like how long does that take like just from finish to start to to just get the data from that other vendor right and they're like oh six hours total great that's helpful for me Mm -hmm. um but then also looking at okay who else is in the industry? Like, how many other companies are competing with this? How big are those companies? What are they charging for it? That kind of stuff, which is sort of, which is qualitative data, but it's basically looking at, like, the market situation of something and then trying to figure out from there, okay, is there an opportunity for us, you know, thinking back to what our competitive advantage are and our niche in the market for us, you know, given the user needs and given um, the competition and basically given the, you know, in addition to everything else you might be thinking about, about what you can charge for it and, you know, how um, complicated it is for you to build and support, for example. Um, so this person that you were advising looking at data, were you able to, did you have enough data that you were able to extract some kind of actionable feature list? Did it work? Not yet. Um, okay. Because they need more data. Like, the, um, for example, they need the data on people who are converting. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have that data right away. So they, so they had the people who were basically creating an account. And then the next level of data needed was, I think they had actually the people who were creating an account and then the ones who ended up purchasing it. Okay. But even getting some sort of data on, like, can we at least see if there, like, are there correlations between what people who create an account and what people end up purchasing it um, or, like, upgrading? Like, what kinds of actions are they taking in the app? How often are they using it before they purchase it, right? Because that can tell us, is this an onboarding problem? Is this, like, is there a marketing problem where you're bringing in a lot of people who are falling through because it's actually not a fit for them based on like like is there a messaging misalignment right and so the answer there was was actually don't go talk to people you need to collect some data first um, Mm. and get a very high level of just what's going on and then once you get that data then you can dive into a like find those those good segments the the stickier segments and then go talk to those people and figure out what are they doing which features are important to them you know, take a look at your market, take a look at your competition, 
consider how um, uh, you know complicated it would be for you to add and support, and then consider adding those features. Um, but I think this is this is kind of a danger of you know using things like a, a feature list without taking into consideration other information about those customers. And and I've heard that some of these some of these tools do that. They actually allow you to pull in uh, Stripe or other data so you can see okay the the customers on these particular plans are are voting for these features. I don't I don't think all of those feature list uh, vote apps do that though. Do you? At Geocodio, do you track this kind of data from sign up to free API key to paid? Yeah. Okay. Do you yeah, like I've third- done analysis for like, you know, what is the, like if someone is going to add a card, for example, what is the average time from card added to, or sorry, it's from account creation to card added? Like, yeah. Do you use a third party software or did you guys just write that yourselves? Uh, that's all Excel. There's probably software that does it. But- you said you do it in Excel? Yeah. How do you know? Yeah, but you have, I mean. We were collecting all of the data. Right. Like, okay. And it's just all in the database and I don't know right. SQL. I actually okay. did write some SQL today, weirdly enough. Nice. Um, this is one thing that came out of, of my conferences last week. I was like, oh, like years ago, I really wanted to learn SQL because I actually really like playing around in this data, but I don't know how to use SQL, which would be even more effective. But yeah, so I was doing SQL and Metabase. And, you know, I mean, to what we've talked about of why I bought Refine is because sometimes I'm kind of afraid to go into Metabase <laughs> and write a really janky SQL query and make something blow up by accident. <laughs> um, and versus with Refine, I can get that really important piece of data out of Nova and not worry about blowing it up, thanks to you and Aaron. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <laughs> Keeping databases alive since 2020 or whatever. Yes. If, if, if that is a use case, it would be keep your product manager uh, from blowing up your database. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I couldn't totally blow it up. You know, it's not. But you some track. There's there. So you, but I could write not, a very expensive query, basically. Because there are a lot of products out there that do this for you theoretically if you hook them up correctly I do not use any of them but so I was curious if you guys used any of them but you just track all the data right so you have user a and in the database every time wow so you track when user a signs up you track when user sure that makes sense user yeah, a, I mean, we have uses, audit logs have, too like the users yeah, know so we have all, this data yes yeah, like, so you have all the data yeah. so you just export it and you just do it in excel yeah cool yeah, I mean, which, it actually would be, yeah. I know you could never do this, but it would be really interesting, I think, to see you do that. I would like to, I mean, I know, again, you can't, but if you ever have fake data, I don't know if you guys use fake data in like a <laughs> staging server, it would be, I would be interested just to see. So uh, once upon a time, I worked at, um, I worked in a BMW like factory, like an actual, like we were building the circuit boards that go in BMWs. Whoa. Yeah. Cool. Surprise. You um, had a lot of cool old jobs. I had like, a lot I of cool like jobs. You, you like dropped a couple weeks ago that you used to work for NASA. And I was gotcha. like, record scratch? Like. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So it was a cool job. They ended up moving it, the factory to Mexico. So the job went away. Womp but, womp. Um, yeah. Womp womp. But where I was going with this is I didn't know a lot about manufacturing. Or actually, when I got this job, I didn't know anything about manufacturing. So my days were spent deep in Excel and deep in pivot tables and data because, of course, you're trying to follow the principles of lean manufacturing. So tracking all of this stuff is so important. And I got into it. So I appreciate, like, how awesome and how fascinating and powerful a good pivot table can be. But I haven't – I mean, that was – 
10, 8, 10, 10, 11, 12 years ago. It was a long time ago. So I'm kind of far removed from it now, but I would like love to see you do it because I'm just really curious as to like what your process is and what you actually find interesting. Because I think the problem one has, and not just me or you, but most people, there's a lot of data. So how do you take that data in a meaningful fashion and pull information out of it that is useful to your business? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and it's funny you say wanting to see me live data analyze. Live data. Yeah, <laughs> uh, peanut butter data time. Um, and actually, there's somebody else I was talking to last week. Where I actually ended up Zooming with them the other day um, because we were talking about their business. And basically, the conclusion was, like, your free tier is probably too generous. Like, these yeah. users are probably costing you a lot of money. And, like, most of them would probably upgrade instead if you had a free trial, for example. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, you know what, let's let like, and I was the other day, I was like, you know, I have, I have like half an hour, like, let's just do this really quick. We got their payments data and, and then also data on um, some, some usage data, some very high level usage data. And I was like, yeah, this will be like half an hour, like, and I'm like just going through in my head and like, okay, I just need like a couple pivot tables and then we just do VLOOKUP to that and then we're good, right? Okay, an hour and a half later, like we were still like, like, like we had like finished cleaning the data. We had like 10 different pivot tables going on. We still didn't actually have the ones we wanted. Came up with more questions in the meantime, like did connect in the usage data, but still was like, wait a minute. Okay, now we figured out the usage for the people who were paying you. But what about the people who aren't paying you? And it was like, I have so many more questions. And I was like, and what we were doing it live. So they got to see me, you know, like forgetting cool. parentheses and like, actually like having to like look up why my VLOOKUP wasn't working and like I was like oh yeah of course um <laughs> and so it was like kind of like I I got a little bit of the live coding anxiety that, yeah. <laughs> that people get which is <laughs> you know massive respect for Aaron and all of his uh live coding talks but it like I was like yeah well, so when I do this myself I'm usually locked in for like six hours straight right. and then I still have more to do right. um so what I'm trying to say is if you wanted uh, to watch me live data analyze like this is not like a 20 minute thing this is a like performance art exhibits uh <laughs> buckle in for eight hours we'll kind of glass, thing glass box <laughs> in Times Square all day <laughs> until you're done Honestly, I'm surprised that that has not been a performance art exhibit where we just, you know, you put a business analyst in a box and watch them type, which is, I mean, God, that does not feel like working in a in an open plan office, quite frankly. <laughs> um, yeah, but I so I was talking to these people and I was like, you know what, I should do like, I haven't been doing a whole lot of newsletters lately, but I think I should kind of do like not like case studies, but like kind of actually sort of like work through this with them and then write about the process as we go and probably like anonymize it, right? Mm -hmm. um, it would be but, interesting, I think. But yeah, basically say, okay, like here's this thing and then here's here's kind of, here's the, here's the process we went through. Right, um, because you yeah. kind of talk in the abstract about this, but you have never talked in detail. I, I think this is a problem with kind of advice we give and get as bootstrap founders is there's a lot of general advice but like literally how do you do it yeah. I like specific yeah. actionable advice and so I think if we haven't done this in years or we're not quite sure 
where to start, it'd be really interesting for you to be like, if that person was open to it or had some fake data or whatever, be like this person came to me with this problem. They don't know what features to build or they don't know how much to charge. So they have thousands of customers or whatever it is. This is what we did to analyze their data, to actually get quantitative analysis, not just this is what I think I should do based on the three people I talked to analysis. Yeah. And I mean, I think for me, you know, I think there's a, I guess one of the reasons why I have not probably jumped headfirst into talking about this more is because I think there's a very reasonable criticism of advice from founders, which is you're hearing about what worked in their experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are uh, an expert in that field, never mind have uh, validated that experience elsewhere right Right. you know there's like there's a selection bias there that you're hearing about what worked in this one person's experience and that might not be uh interoperable so to speak and so I think that's for me why like the areas where I have I guess I let myself give advice in I'm very particular about what those ones are because I make sure that it's only the ones that I actually have some sort of background in or have studied like or have you know extensively learned from other people and applied in different scenarios beyond my own experience like yeah um, that makes sense like I, I try not to 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 do that too much but I think at least giving like giving examples of just a workflow is you know even caveated is probably better than nothing right um, that would be my I mean everyone- and, and it's Maybe that's better than like sort of generic hand wavy kind of stuff. Um, so I, I don't have time for it right now. Yeah. Um, but I've I've kind of I'm already thinking ahead to January when my schedule frees up a bit about, you know, doing more writing. There's even a new writing project I want to start that I haven't even told you about. So I think I'm going to I'm going to kind of like slot that in mentally for for January to at least start working with them and and see if we can get some sort of like I don't know just like example I guess of a project of of using qualitative and quantitative data yeah awesome I love that idea cool well this feels like a good time to say thanks to everyone who supports this show I want to give a special thanks to our new supporters Brendan from feeder loop and Pascal from sharpen.page thank you you can become a supporter, too, for $100 a year at softwaresocial.dev slash supporters. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Wafris, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Remy from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of SignWell, Corey Haynes of SwipeWell, Mike Wade of CrowdSentry, Nate Ritter of RoomSteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetti, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh, the annoyingly pragmatic founder, Ben from Consent Kit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Kaylee of Tosslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, 
Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lena and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from OppleNet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Worksighted, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, the community for women, non-binary, and trans Laravel developers. Arvid Call. And by the way, I was on Arvid's podcast recently. Um, so if you want more of me in your podcast feeds, um, go check out the Bootstrapped Founder. James Sowers from Castaway.fm. Jessica Malnick. Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker. Eldon from Nodal Studios and Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit. Thank you so much, everyone. And I will talk to you soon, Colleen. All right. Bye. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Worksighted, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabel developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.